Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> Well, I tried to tell you, I told you on this podcast yesterday, the Miami Dolphins should come knocking on the Carolina Panthers doorstep and see what we could do about taking offensive guard Trey Turner off their hands. My friends, that moment has come and gone. I'm Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked On Dolphins, and damn it, that one got away from us real quick. <laughs> the uh, The reports came out after the combine that the Panthers were shopping offensive guard Trey Turner, who's owed approximately $20 million in the next two seasons combined, the final two years of his current contract. He'll be 26 next season. Multiple Pro Bowls, one of the most potent power at the point of attack guards in the NFL. And he just got traded yesterday. Turns out you name things on this podcast and the league gets some stuff done. So let's talk let's talk that into existence. The NFL just sent out their their latest collective bargaining agreement to the players for ratification. If I talk about it, here's hoping that we find out it gets passed a week from tomorrow. But on the subject of the Carolina Panthers and Trey Turner, this one hurts because on the surface level, and I say on the surface level because this almost feels too good to be true for the Chargers. The Chargers traded 31-year-old Russell Okung, who played one game last year, 66 snaps, is in the last year of his contract, owed $13 million, and had blood clot issues that kept him off the field for a vast majority of the season for, again, one of the best power at the point of attack guards in football with two years of control, who's 26 years old. How'd the Chargers do this? Not only did how did the Chargers do this, but how did the Dolphins not get in on the action here? Which makes me feel like at the surface, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Spoke with my colleague at the Draft Network, uh, Joe Marino. We do Draft Dudes podcast together here on the Locked On Network. And uh, Joe also does Locked On Bills. And he reminded me last night when we were talking about this deal, and I was was writing up a response to it for thedraftnetwork.com. He said... You know, this almost reminds me of the Kevin Zeitler-Olivier Vernon trade last offseason, which came out, I think that that piece of the news broke on March 8th, and then fast forward a few days, and it became this mega deal that included Odell Beckham Jr. and Jibril Peppers and a first-round pick. And, like, the Panthers being as ambitious as they are, uh, clearly selling off assets to their team, you can't help but wonder, you know, could Cam Newton be involved in a deal? The Chargers, you know, have been rumored to be interested in veteran quarterbacks, and the Panthers have been rumored to be shopping Cam Newton. And and if that's the case, then I understand why the Dolphins didn't get involved. Because they're not in that market. They're not interested in the 30-year-old Cam Newton. They're not interested in giving up draft picks of a high caliber. They have been the exact opposite of that, which has been pooling assets together with the intention of having a vast array of draft picks at their disposal. So if the Dolphins missed out on Trey Turner because Trey Turner was a key piece of a bigger deal, it's an easy pill to swallow. I understand why they're not involved. But man, 
if this just ends up being a salary dump and for even for Carolina, you know, Miami did some heinous acts as far as eating salary cap last year, you know, paying the roster bonus to Robert Quinn on the third or the fifth day of the the league calendar year so that he was easier to trade, Uh, eating some of Ryan Tannehill's 2019 salary to get him flipped for a fourth round pick. Miami had a lot of dead cap and assets that they moved, but Carolina, guys, Carolina is eating $9 million in dead cap. So they're saving $3 million this year. But then they're also taking on Russell Okung's $10 million or $13 million salary. So they're actually paying $10 million more this year, which is why it makes so little sense and why I feel like there's something more to it. So I can't be mad yet. And if it was going to be, Carolina says, yeah, we'll take a two for Trey Turner. Well, then, yeah, I'll take my chances with the two. But if you could have told me I could have got Trey Turner for 70, I think the Dolphins would have would have likely at least strongly considered, given how bad the point of attack play was last year. Which is kind of bringing me to today's central thesis, if you will. It's kind of inadvertently become a day committed to the big uglies for me on the Miami Dolphins front. If you're not familiar with the entirety of my work, I cover the draft at thedraftnetwork.com. I'm a senior NFL draft analyst there. I also am the managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com. Write about the Dolphins every day. Not a bad gig. Just like talking about the Dolphins every day. Not a bad gig. But everything that I wrote today for Dolphins Wire ended up being bits and pieces relating to the offensive line. You know, we wrote about the Trey Turner trade, talked about some free agents the Dolphins would be wise to kick the tires on, some guys that they would be wise to avoid kicking the tires on. Uh, Even had one of my followers on Twitter reach out and say, hey, what do you think about this player? So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. We'll talk about a little bit of college prospects, specifically day two prospects, uh, which if you're not super familiar with the draft, that's second and third rounds of the draft. You know, that's your expectation And that day is to still get starters on your team. You get outside uh, the second day and you get outside the top 100 picks. My general philosophy is you're probably going to find really good role players. You may find some red flag players that have dropped in the draft that could be starters for you, developmental players who could be starters in the long run for you. But by and large, your first, second, third rounds, Those are the areas of the draft where you're expecting to get starters early on in their pro careers. But first, Philadelphia Eagles. Two offensive tackles of note here for the Philadelphia Eagles, one of them being Jason Peters. Uh, The news broke uh, this morning by uh, Mike Garofolo that the Philadelphia Eagles had agreed to allow Jason Peters to hit the free agent market after 11 seasons with the team. Eagles, of course, traded for Peters from the Buffalo Bills. He's going on to have what's going to undoubtedly be a Hall of Fame career at some point. Uh, But Jason Peters will hit the open market. And there's some people out there that I I greatly respect, including Brandon Thorne, who is one who mentioned the Dolphins as a team, uh, who should be in on attacking getting Jason Peters on their roster. And I very conflicted thoughts on it because Jason Peters he's a Hall of Fame player he's seen some stuff let's just call it that right he's been in the league longer than 
two-thirds of my lifetime, effectively, he's been in the NFL. But Jason Peters at 38 years old, he's probably not going to command a huge contract, so you can't even point to the, the financials of it. It just feels like a right place, wrong time kind of situation for Miami. Because Jason Peters is 38 years old. He's had some durability issues the last couple of years. But he's playing because he wants to play. And the Dolphins, if you bring in Jason Peters, your ideal scenario for him is to either kind of coach and mentor a young offensive tackle and help bring him along. And Peters very well may not have an issue with that. But the Dolphins, if they're going to get an offensive tackle that's worthwhile in this year's draft class, they're going to have to take one early. And if you're going to draft one inside those top 100 picks, would you not rather let him play? And if you're going to let him play, then Jason Peters isn't going to sign here to come be a backup. He doesn't want that. So I don't feel like the, the ideal scenario for each team is sensible in that the Dolphins, you know, prioritizing offensive tackle early, probably it would be counterproductive to cater to Jason Peters playing because you're going to draft the left tackle within the first 100 picks because that's where you're getting an expected starter. Could you make the case for, hey, you know, Josh Jones or Austin Jackson, these guys are pretty raw, let them, let them sit behind Jason Peters for a year? Sure. I could see it, but I'm not going to advocate for it. Because the way that the Dolphins, their, their modus operandi in the past under Mike Tannenbaum is, we have a need at left tackle. Let's sign a seasoned, long-in-the-tooth vet, pay him good money to come here. He's going to take care of that spot. No questions asked. Happened with Josh Sitton, right? Great example. How many games did Josh Sitton play? Fun fact. Quiz time. Played one game. Played less than one game. Levy Torres Peck. Third quarter? Beginning of fourth quarter in the season opener against the Titans? And that was it. He's done for the year. And Jason Peters is a guy who has been battling injury issues, 38 years old, wants to play. I just have a really hard time getting on board, even acknowledging that Jason Peters' veteran leadership and experience would bring a dynamic to this locker room that the Dolphins don't currently have. But if we are looking at free agents that I would be interested in, the other Philadelphia Eagles offensive tackle, Vitae is available in free agency. Do not ask me to say his first name. Hal. Hal Vitae. That's as close as you're going to get at him. I would definitely be interested in, in seeing and testing what the market value is for Vitae in free agency. But what gives me pause was Mike Garofolo, again, referencing that he'd be hitting the, the free agent market. Uh, heard estimates from 8 to $12 million a year. I'm sorry, what? 8 to $12 million a year for Big V. It's his nickname, Vitae. That is obscene money. And if you're going to pay that, you might as well pay 
the 15 for Joe Thune. You might as well draft the left tackle, pay him on the rookie wage scale, and then you can take what you would be paying for a starter at left tackle that you're not paying him because it's a rookie on his wage scale and sign somebody else on the interior, whether it's Andrews Pete or somebody else. This is free agent. Navigating the free agent waters is going to be extremely difficult for the Dolphins because you're going to hear any given number in a vacuum. And it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. Joe Thune, an offensive guard, $15 million. That's a hard pill to swallow. Shoot, Brandon Scherf got the franchise tag. If a team wants him, they're going to get him for $15, $16 million a year, and they're going to have to trade a pick for him. It's obscenely rich. And if Big V at offensive tackle is getting 8 to 12 mil, I shudder to think what some of these other guys are going to get. I shudder to think what Andrus Pete, who is one of my preferred targets along the offensive line, because he's not considered the blue chip tier, right? The, the Joe Thune, Brandon Scherf. He's the next step down. He's a plus starter. He's coming out of a New Orleans offense that has run the ball with effectiveness. But if I got to pay $12 million to get Andrews Pete, you can give me Andrews Pete for 12 mil versus Vitae for 12 mil all day long. So if that's the market price on the Eagles offensive tackles, I'd be perfectly fine moving on in our lives as Miami Dolphins fans without the Eagles' offensive tackles. An interesting name that did arise, uh, this one coming from Adam Schefter of ESPN, for the Miami Dolphins on their offensive interior, Ron Leary, Ronald Leary, of the, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, now of the Denver Broncos. Uh, Schefter tweeted last night, Denver not expected to pick up the contract option on guard Ronald Leary, per source. He will become a free agent on March 18th. Would this be a player that makes sense for the Dolphins to kick their tires on? He will be 31 years old before the start of the 2020 season. And he started 29 contests over his last three years in Denver, missing 19 games at the same time. The question for Miami here becomes from a value perspective. How sensible can a contract be? How sensible, and if you see a player in Ron Leary, who again a valuable reset the point of attack plus player in the run game. If you can get him for under this market value of 8 to 12 that we're talking about for Vitae, it's different positions. Ronald Larry plays guard. Vitae plays offensive tackle. But if you can get Ronald Larry for 5 or $6 million a year, sign me up. Even at 31 years old, even with the durability questions, because again, it all comes down to Miami investing and not just addressing needs on their roster. If you've missed me reference this in the past, addressing needs is signing a player and assuming that that's taken care of. Signing Jason Peters to play left tackle in 2020. Signing Josh Sitton to play left guard in 2018. And then what happens when these players get hurt? Signing Ronald Leary to play right guard in 2020. What happens when that player gets hurt? And you have the same 
sorry depth behind those players. Improving your starter doesn't necessarily improve your depth. You have to overhaul the entire unit. And if that is which has been addressed uh, by some of the Dolphins' beat, that is part of the blueprint for this offseason, then sure, if you can get Ronald Lear for cheap, go ahead and bring him into the picture. Because it won't hurt you to have veterans on your roster. Especially at the interior, where I don't foresee Miami having to take a player early. If you do, it's at center. And that's the difference between Ronald Leary for me and Jason Peters on the outside. Never mind the fact that Jason Peters is 38. A lot of the prospects on the interior offensive line this year, even the good ones, are going to be developmental players. They're not going to be plug-and-play starters. So it, And you saw what the cost of that was with Michael Dieter playing this past year, who I didn't think he'd be as big of a developmental player as he ended up being, but at the same time, Michael Dieter's playing with a turnstile that's different every week at left tackle. And Daniel Kilgore on his right, who doesn't have the functional strength to hold an anchor at the line of scrimmage. So Dieter is supposed to be the staple, and he's the least experienced player. And he's converting from you know playing guard and center and tackle all throughout his career at Wisconsin. So that gets messy. So it might feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but the best interior offensive lineman prospects in this year's draft, Cesar Ruiz plays center, Lloyd Cushenberry plays center, Matt Hennessy plays center, Robert Hunt played offensive tackle last year for Louisiana. He's going to have to convert to guard. Nick Harris, next in line. He's a center. The only player in the top 100 of the draft network, which, again, is, is I, I'm a big part of the rankings over there, have my own respective big board as well. The only guy in the top 100 for interior offensive linemen who played guard last year is Jonah Jackson from Ohio State. And that makes the big difference as far as why I'm receptive to, yeah, let's sign Ron Leary. Versus, no, I don't want Jason Peters. Because Jason Peters plays the position where you're going to expect a guy to come in and start. Whether it's Wills, Worst, Becton, Thomas, Nyang, Josh Jones, Prince Tegawenahu, Austin Jackson. Like these are all top 75 prospects in this year's draft. You take one of them, you want to get them on the field, and you want to work with them, and you want to coach through it. You want to let this player fail forward. Whereas the interior offensive line, there's, there's probably going to, you're either drafting a center, or you're not getting good value inside the top 100 picks. So if you want to draft a Damian Lewis from LSU in the fourth round and pair him behind Ronald Leary, that from a valuation and a, a plan of, of progression and, and succession plan makes more sense to me. So if I'm going to stick flags in the ground here, I'm going to say, yes, let's get some veteran interior offensive linemen on the cheap if we can. And at offensive tackle, the only way I want to sign an offensive tackle is if that guy's going to be your starter in the long term. The Jack Conklins of the world. Maybe they, maybe Andrus Peake could play offensive tackle. I don't know. He played offensive tackle at Stanford. He has the length to do it. 
but he also has years and years of experience now at offensive guard at the NFL level. So as long as they have a plan that involves a number of new bodies, I think that's the most essential piece of it. But I want to let the players that I'm going to attack and draft at offensive tackle, I want to let those guys play and develop. Because you're probably going to be redshirting your quarterback no matter what, whether it's Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, or Tua Tunga Viola. You got Ryan Fitzpatrick back, you're going to use him. The dude took a beating last year and came back every single time. So let a talented young offensive tackle learn on the job. Your early picks on the interior, they're probably going to be centers. Unless you draft Jonah Jackson. But you can't go into the draft with the expectation of, yeah, I'm going to get this one guy. Because that is the most risky play that you could possibly make. We'll be right back after this brief pause for sponsor identification. We're going to bring this thing home on Thursday, March 5th, episode of Locked On Dolphins. And we're back. And to bring this show to a close, I do want to talk about a couple NFL draft prospects, my favorite thing in the world to do. And specifically, again, sticking with the theme of the big uglies up front, the offensive linemen. Uh, I want to talk about some of these center prospects because I think the Dolphins getting some new glue in the middle of this line is an important thing for them to do this offseason. I think it's necessary for uh, the stability of the entire line. It's it's going to make both, both guards better. Having better play at center, with all due respect to Daniel Kilgore. Uh, he's a, a well-respected team leader and a seasoned vet. But I don't think his level of play justifies keeping him in that starting role. Ideally, he's a backup. If the Dolphins wanted to just cut ties with his his contract, they could do so with no dead cap space. I wouldn't be adverse to it, but I think the team would definitely need to make sure that they lock in a, a replacement first. Let's not be hasty here and make do- moves prematurely. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've done that a few times on Madden. Uh, you get done playing a game and a guy played bad and you cut him and then don't realize there's nobody viable to step into his place and you screw yourself. So let's, let's make sure that Dolphins don't screw themselves here, but let's let's look for an upgrade. And I want to talk about the three top center prospects in this year's draft, in my opinion, starting first and foremost with Cesar Ruiz from Michigan. Uh, Ruiz at 6'4", 319 is a big dude. He's very nimble for his size, too. I want to read my my player synopsis uh, from his scouting report page that I had written. Cesar Ruiz is a rock-solid center prospect who should comfortably slot into any kind of offensive system at the NFL level. Ruiz brings desirable strength in one-on-one scenarios, but also provides nimble quickness as a puller and in pass protection. His lack of length regulates him to manning the middle as a center only, but he is a cerebral and polished player leaving Michigan and should provide stability and effective communication at the heart of whichever offensive line he calls home. Good player, right? And and I appreciate the fact that there's some positional flex or some scheme flexibility with Cesar Ruiz. Of course, he came in and and measured with 33-inch arms at the combine, so he's a little bit longer than I had initially anticipated, but he doesn't play with great functional length. What I mean by that is is your ability to 
to maintain control of bodies when they're outside of your chest. When you're forced to extend your arms, how effective are you continuing to manipulate bodies? And Ruiz, he, it might be because he's so nimble and, and strong with his hands that once he gets you clamped, he's able to consistently keep you in close quarters. And perhaps that gave me the perception that he wasn't quite as long as he is. But it's an added bonus that he came in with 33-inch arms. Arm length, you'll, see, you'll hear me talk about this pretty frequently if, if you listen to my draft synopsis or, or breaking down prospects. He who strikes first typically wins. And Ruiz has good strike timing. He's got really strong hands to kind of torque and twist guys. And because he's so mobile for such a big, powerful dude, he's constantly in the face of defensive linemen. And I feel comfortable with him playing zone concepts where he's steering defenders out of gaps. And I feel comfortable with him in gap and power concepts in which he's double teaming, climbing to the second level, or he's looking to uh, take a one technique and, and displace him to create a gap for a running back to run off his hip. Ruiz checks those boxes fairly comfortably for me. Uh, my next prospect at center, Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU. 6'3", 312, uh, another big dude. He has plus 34-inch arms, so when you're talking length, this is about as long as you get at center. Typically, these guys are playing further outside where you know they can use that length to really steepen angles. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry projects as an NFL starter with tremendous body control, hip mobility, short area quickness, and pairs it with a high level of football intelligence. There's currently lapses in his hand placement and footwork at first contact, but once he's ironed out there, he figures to be an effective starter in just about any offensive system. He meets functional strength thresholds and effectively counters upfield attacks for make-out defenders. He's not quite the athlete that Cesar Ruiz is. He's fluid, but because he's longer, he's almost less effective on the interior. I would comfortably rate Ruiz a better prospect at this point in time than Cushenberry. I think Cushenberry's a more attractive fit in a, in a pure gap power type system. He can play zone systems, and he can do well there. And because he has length, he can steer guys really effectively. But uh, I do think that Cushenberry, because he's longer, uh, and, and you've got that A-gap defender so frequently lined up right in your face, when you have to snap and you can only stun punch with one hand, uh, I think that first contact that I mentioned with him uh, is an area that is a bit of a sore spot and, and will provide a little bit more of a developmental curve. So uh, that puts him behind uh, Cesar Ruiz for me, but I still think he's a fairly scheme diverse prospect. Matt Hennessy is the, the last one of my top three. 6-4-3-0-2. So think more along the lines of like Aguirre Bradbury, who went at 18 last year in a Minnesota, not high, that highly coveted as a prospect. But that style of play, very much you know, zone type of blocking concepts. He's a space blocker. He does really well when he's tasked with working across the face of guys laterally, outside zones. Uh, that's where he thrives. Where I get apprehensive for Hennessy is I don't think from a functional strength and power at the point of attack perspective, I don't think he's a tone setter, and it seems like that's the direction Miami wants to go. I uh, could be wrong, but I think he's much more of an outside zone like a San Francisco 49ers, uh, Minnesota Vikings. Those types of run running concepts are where he'll thrive best. Miami, uh, how much of that they implement versus 
the straight downhill. That's yet to be determined. But you look at the track record of, of Chan Gailey and some of the offensive linemen and the style of rushing attack that he has implemented over the course of his last several stops. It's There's more of the, the downhill. And then you get one-cut slashers and a li- little bit less of the steer, pure zone. So Hennessy is, is, for me, I think a little bit more scheme-specific. Not to say the Dolphins can't go that direction with it ultimately, but if you were going to ask me, you know, we want to get a new glue piece on the inside of our offensive line. You're talking Cesar Ruiz or Lloyd Cushenberry are my two most comfortable projections there. I think Cesar Ruiz, you might have to take him at 26, being completely honest. You got Seattle that you got to worry about. You got the... Uh, the Patriots at 23, the Seattle Seahawks are 27. There's going to be some land uh, landmines to navigate if Cesar Ruiz is going to be there on the board at 39, which is a risky proposition for the Dolphins to take. And, and Lloyd Cushenberry, he'll definitely, in my opinion, be there at 39. Is he there at 56? Again, can't guarantee it. If he is, feels like a no-brainer pick. But you've got a lot of teams that need interior offensive line, and with Cushenberry's length and some of the first strike issues, he might be better suited for some teams kicking to guard. I think he's got that capability in his game. So uh, the Dolphins are going to have a pretty difficult, you know, if, if they want to secure that box, they can't afford to wait all that long. And if it gets outside of that, then you're talking about guys whether it's Washington's Nick Harris is a good example of a player like that. Uh, Tyler Beattis from Wisconsin has had a big drop-off on his tape this year. He's got a shoulder labrum issue that prevented him from working out the combine. He had hip surgery last year, so there's some concerning medical trends there. That's about it for you know potential top 150 picks at center. So if the Dolphins aren't going to get one in free agency, they're going to have to strike it early. And because it's center, again, going back to our central thesis here, it wouldn't be in conflict with adding veteran players, even adding like Ted Karras from, from the New England Patriots who the Dolphins are reported to be interested in. And then if you have that rookie center, getting some veteran guard play on either side can be valuable. Especially because the guards, I don't think the guard starters will come early in the draft versus what you'd see at offensive tackle. Hope you guys enjoyed this Big Uglies edition of Locked On Dolphins of Kyle Krabs. Be back tomorrow, Friday, super stoked, which means we are uh, about a week and a half away from the open of free agency, which means this thing's going to get real weird real quick. There's going to be lots to talk about here in about 10 days. So hit subscribe, follow along, and I'll steer you through it. Take you all the way to the draft, all the way through the offseason, and to 2020 Miami Dolphins football. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll talk with you guys tomorrow.